Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Autism Spectrum Teacher Podcast. My name is Steph Reed, and I'm an autism specialist teacher and consultant and I work with a range of mainstream and specialist schools mostly in London with the focus of upskilling staff and developing practice and provision. I also do online coaching for parents and for educators for personalised support related to children's learning and development. I'm neurodivergent myself, I'm dyslexic and ADHD and my personal educational experiences fuels my passion for ensuring children's individual needs are met to maximise their potential and outcomes. I'm so excited to have this opportunity to speak to you, so I appreciate the fact you're listening. Thank you very much. Now, you may have found this podcast through my website, autismspectrumteacher.com, which I actually started as a blog back in 2012 as a way of sharing what I was learning through my experience of being a teacher for autistic children, as well as for children with a range of complex needs, and especially to share all of the really successful teaching approaches or strategies or resources that really have a big impact on children's learning and development and knowing that this information could really potentially help others. And this is what I really want to do with this podcast is to continue to to share good practice and have conversations with autistic individuals, with teachers, with other educational professionals, with parents, with service providers, all about different themes related to autism and inclusive practice and essentially deepen our understanding of autism and how to provide a really inclusive environment in our schools and in our services that caters towards different needs. Now I can see from visiting different schools and settings that there is a need for general understanding and practice in meeting a range of complex needs within our classroom and outside our classroom and it's definitely the main driving force in me wanting to provide outreach and training and consultancy but there's also a lot of research that is showing this including the autism and education in england 2017 report from the national autistic society and the all-party parliamentary group on autism Um, for example less than 50 percent of teachers saying that they're confident in supporting a child with autism and only 50 percent of pupils saying teachers understand them so there really is a need for understanding to develop and I really hope to be able to provide a means of sharing that information through this podcast Now this first episode today is just going to be me and I'm going to be talking through some tips for teaching and supporting autistic children and if you're not a teacher or you don't provide support in any way I'm sure you're still going to find the information in this episode valuable. I've actually based the tips I'm going to talk about on some of the themes that do regularly come up during outreach visits to schools. So I'm hoping that you will find this information really useful. Now I'll give you a little bit more background information about me. But first of all, let's hit it with the intro. 
And here's your host, my favourite teacher, Steph Reed. Okay, brilliant. So before I get in to the teaching and support tips, I just want to give you a little bit of background information about me, your host, Steph Reed. So since my very first interaction with an autistic child, whilst I was on a work experience placement at school, I've wanted to learn everything I could about autism, spend as much time as I could with autistic people. And I think a reason why I am so passionate about improving special educational needs and inclusive provision and practice in schools and services is because I experience firsthand how sometimes the seemingly small adaptions can make such a big difference. I was diagnosed with dyslexia, ADD, scotopic sensitivity, or also known as Erlins, and general anxiety disorder after I'd left school at 16. And I'd gone through school with generally below average grades. And once support was in place, and I had some really great teachers who made those adaptions, for example, and this was before I was assessed for dyslexia, so this teacher recognised perhaps where I was struggling. I remember being in, in a class and the teacher came up to me and just put a the PowerPoint presentation in front of me on paper so I didn't have to look at the board or try to read it from the board. It was right in front of me. Now, that was a really small strategy or seemingly small strategy, but made the difference to my focus and my learning. And these type of things, once I got the diagnosis of dyslexia, I was able to then understand more about being dyslexic, what that meant, what are the best ways that I could learn. And I realized that actually it wasn't because I was below average. I actually left college with A grades. I got my first A grade at college and then went to uni and I studied special needs and inclusion as well as early childhood studies, and I did really well. And I just realized I'd been learning in the wrong way. And it's, that's why it's so important for us to understand children's needs, the way children learn, because of course, every child learns in such different ways. So this does fuel my passion for really enhancing the provision that we've put in place for children and how can we what can we do to enhance their learning because there's lots of different things that we can do and often a lot of the good practice strategies are helpful for all children not just autistic children so a lot of the things that I'll talk about in this podcast episode won't just be beneficial for children with autism but for a lot of other children Now, without any further delay, here are some effective strategies for teaching and supporting autistic children. So the first tip is to always think about the sensory input in the environment and how this might be having an impact on the children you're teaching in the classroom or how the sensory input at home might be having an impact on an individual or perhaps in the service you're providing. There is quite often a lot of sensory input going on around us all the time. And for example, in today's classrooms, you already have a lot of sensory stimuli. For example, busy, colourful 
classroom displays, lots of resources around the room on tables, on shelves, quite often very bright lights, lots of different smells, lots of different sounds from of the other children, perhaps even from electrical equipment. And sometimes autistic children can find it difficult to block out different sounds or be able to focus on the sounds that you want them to focus on. Or perhaps they're experiencing those senses just much more sensitively than you or I. And we always need to remember that everyone is experiencing the sensory input around them differently and this is especially true significantly true for an autistic individual sometimes the impact can be obvious and what i mean by that is for example you may see a child covering their ears that's very obvious that they're trying to block out some part of their auditory input. So already that signals to you something in the environment is having an impact on them. What can you do about it? A child that's covering their eyes or turning off the light, that's signaling to you that perhaps the lights are too bright or the paper is too bright. Can these be adapted? A child that's moving in a particular way, maybe they're seeking some kind of sensory input. Are they pulling thing, things into them tightly? Is that signaling to you that they, they're, they're seeking that sensory input? Is there something you can give to them to provide them with that? Would a movement break help? Would some kind of equipment that would give them the deep pressure, for example, a, a weighted blanket or a hug vest? There are lots of different strategies that can help support the sensory needs of children. And I would suggest that it, you always look at the impact of the sensory environment. If a child has become dysregulated, they're perhaps very upset, they're, they're, they may be very angry, something has is, something is frustrated them. Look at the sensory environment. Look, look at what is going on around them. Has there, is there just too much sensory input? Is it causing them sensory overload and it's just too much? There is what's known as hypersensitivity, which is being very, very sensitive to sensory input, or there's hyposensitivity, which is undersensitive or perhaps not register sensory input. And children can have both sensitivities. They can be oversensitive or undersensitive to different sensory input. So it's all about looking at the individual sensory needs. Providing the right support will help a child to regulate and manage the sensory environment around them. Because if they are very sensitive, it's going to be highly overwhelming and forget about learning. They may not be able to concentrate or to focus. So always think about the sensory environment and how it may be having an impact on children. I have a free ebook that gives lots of information about different sensory systems, how our senses can impact learning and lots of practical ways that we can support sensory needs as well as identify sensory needs. So you can go and grab a copy at autismspectrumteacher.com forward slash sensory needs. 
Okay, number two. Now, a child will get a diagnosis of autism because they have some differences or delays in their receptive and perhaps their expressive language. So each individual will have very different communication needs. It could be that one person uh, doesn't develop any verbal language and has challenges with understanding the the language and communication used by others perhaps another person has very advanced expressive language skills and can articulate well but may experience difficulties with understanding non-verbal communication or the language around them so receptive communication means understanding the communication from other people understanding verbal language non-verbal language of course everyone is different but what we can do is make sure we choose our language and methods of communication wisely I'll never forget when I was a teaching assistant probably my first week of working with a young boy and I had said to him come back and what did he do he walked backwards And from that moment, I said to myself, I need to make sure the language I use is very specific because otherwise it may be interpreted in a way that you didn't mean. So be very specific in your use of language. Say what you mean. If you want a child to do something, say exactly what you mean. It's going to make such a difference. So rather than saying something that they shouldn't do, such as don't run, say what they need to do, such as walk. An example of language that's really not specific would be something like don't do that. Those words don't really mean anything. It doesn't tell the child what to do. It just... And it doesn't even tell them what not to do. It's don't do that. That could be anything. So be specific. Say, put your feet on the floor or whatever it is, whatever you want that child to do, tell them exactly that. Sometimes it can look like a child or a young person has understood what you've said because perhaps they've replied yes to you or... Maybe they've repeated what you've said or perhaps it's something that, that you do regularly and you think that actually they, they know the routine. It's always a good idea to keep it in the back of your mind that perhaps that person may not have understood what you've said and perhaps they've picked up cues from the environment or maybe they've learned the situation by rote. You might be able to observe this in their behaviour. But definitely don't get frustrated if a child or an individual has not, what, not done what you've asked them to do. Perhaps they don't actually understand what you mean and maybe you need to change your language or change your form of communication. Sometimes we might use too much language and this can cause challenges because words or the communication message gets lost. For example... A long sentence might be something like, can you please turn around and come and sit down now? 
a more effective way of asking a child, especially a child who has communication difficulties, would be to say their name and then say, sit or come and sit. So that you can make sure the child gets the key information from the language rather than that message getting lost in lots of unnecessary language. So reducing our language to the key information can really, really help. Language can be further supported with the use of pictures, images, objects. If you're holding something visual of what you are talking about, that's going to really help the children, the child, the individual to decode what you're saying or make more sense of what you're saying. So it's a good idea to pair language with either a picture or the object. When, for example, when I ask a child if they want to go to the toilet, I would hold up a picture of the toilet and say, do you want the toilet? Another way that we can help autistic individuals or individuals with communication difficulties is to use sign, Makaton sign, which is a simplified version of, of British Sign Language. So using those key signs when you're talking can really help to emphasize the word and the meaning of the word. So be concrete with your use of language. Abstract concepts can already be very challenging to understand because we can't see them. So if we can try and make our language uh, as understandable as possible, definitely avoid using any language that has a different meaning or sarcasm can be a difficult concept to understand. So unless you know that the individual understand sarcasm then avoid using it because this can be really confusing for a child it's always important to ensure you give the child time to process and for for different children that's going to be a different time but I mean I would say you know give at least 10 seconds for a child to process an instruction unless a child can manage having more than one instruction at a time avoid giving multiple instructions just give one instruction at a time and wait for that child to process the instruction therefore you're giving them much more opportunity to be successful okay number three consistency this word consistency is so important especially when you're using perhaps a particular strategy and maybe even when you're thinking about language be consistent. Ensure that child fully understands that when you do something or when you say something, they know the response because you've been doing it so many times. You're being consistent. The child will, will learn that this means this. If you're not consistent, if you sometimes say this, sometimes say that, that can be very confusing. If you sometimes use, for example, if you sometimes use a visual timetable to help structure their day so they know what's coming up and sometimes you don't, that will cause a lot of anxiety. Consistency, consistency. Teachers and teaching assistants. 
Do you want to feel really prepared and equipped to meet the diverse needs in your class? Do you want to effectively manage, de-escalate and minimise behaviour that's challenging? Do you want to confidently and effectively lead your team in the classroom to maximise impact? Or do you want to stop spending lots of time looking for resources and strategies? Then I'm here to help. Autism for Teachers is an accessible anytime online training course designed to help teachers and teaching assistants meet the holistic needs of autistic children and young people. After consulting in lots of different schools as an autism specialist teacher and advising hundreds of teachers and school leaders on high quality autism provision and practice, I've put together Autism for Teachers to give you an easy and accessible way of gaining the practical strategies and resources that are going to help you effectively support autistic children's learning. Expand your knowledge of autism, developing communication, supporting sensory processing, emotional regulation, behavior, and social interaction with a comprehensive resource base of bite-sized videos featuring lots of practical ways that you can help and support children's learning, progress, and well-being. Perfect for busy teachers. You can gain a toolbox of evidence-based strategies and skills, as well as downloadable resources such as visual support, like timetables or editable documents like behaviour support plans or classroom organisation. We also have packages for schools. Come and join now at autismspectrumteacher.com to get started straight away. Okay, number four, organization is extremely important. When I was teaching full-time, a class of children with autism and severe learning difficulties, if I was not organized and didn't have my resources in, in the right places, I used to use boxes, so everything was exactly where I knew it would be. I know that a lesson would just fall apart because without having that organization in place, things cannot run smoothly and you want things to run very smoothly. For an, an example is, if there's a child doing some work activities, perhaps this child um, has maybe a, a short attention span and you're doing some learning activities at a table. If your activities are nicely organized, perhaps they're in, I always like to use um, individual wallets for different activities. So, so the activities can come out individually, one on the table, do the activity. Next, if they're not organized and you're trying to look for resources, that child is probably already up on the other side of the classroom and you cannot blame them. Of course, they, they need, they've, they've found something more exciting to do. So make sure you're organized. Number five, I want to talk a bit about emotional regulation and the ability to be able to understand our emotions and then knowing what to do when we're experiencing a type of emotion. So using a strategy to help us emotionally regulate. For, for autistic children, and in fact for, 
for many children, understanding how to regulate those emotions can be challenging and we really need to support this because if a child is not well regulated, they're not going to be able to take part in learning. They're not going to be able to access the lesson. And what I mean by that, if a child is very excited or if a child is very upset or, or frustrated, they're not going to be able to access the learning effectively. So let's think about emotional regulation in those two areas. So identifying emotion and emotional regulation strategies. So in terms of identifying emotion, it's very important that we as teachers, as parents, we model the language in context. So at the time that a child is experiencing these emotions. So for example, if a child is very happy, tell them they're happy, tell them they're excited. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling sad, model that as well. Show them that you're, you're feeling an emotion. Label it. Give them the language. Perhaps maybe you're doing a lesson about um, a, a, a character in a story and they're feeling a certain emotion. Talk about it. Discuss it. Let's give the children the, the language in context. You can do activities, for example, watching um, a, a video. Maybe it's their favorite characters or perhaps it's a video of, the, of, of, of all of you in class and maybe somebody is showing a particular emotion. Watch it back and identify those emotions. Use pictures to make it more concrete and visual. I'm definitely a fan of having a emotion scale in the classroom. So maybe you have something on the wall or by the whiteboard where you have different emotions and you can use this at any time in your teaching uh, to label a specific emotion. Maybe it's come up in a story and you can you can you can take a picture off the wall or or get the scale and show it to the children. Oh look, this character is feeling scared so these sort of things can really help the children to understand the emotion because be careful sometimes we can say are you feeling happy or are you feeling sad and they may say yes or no but actually do they really understand what you mean now understanding what to do to help themselves in a when they're experiencing a certain emotion can also be a challenge and we can help support that by ensuring we give them appropriate strategies. Now that might be for, that it could look different for different children. Maybe it's gonna be some sensory resource that's going to help to calm them. Maybe it's going to be having a break from the classroom. Maybe it's going to be asking to talk to the teacher or talk to somebody and we can help provide the children with these strategies by making them again visual and concrete maybe it's going to be having a visual support which maybe lists some of those strategies or maybe it's some pictures maybe it wouldn't be appropriate for the child to make a a choice at that point because they've become so dysregulated and we need to provide that choice for them so maybe it's going to be okay 
I, I'm supporting a child and I can see this child is not managing well in this situation. Maybe something is causing them to become dysregulated. I'm going to support them by telling them or showing them they need a break. This will help to show the child, okay, this is the time you have a break. Or maybe it's going to be something, uh, some kind of activity where they can step away from the learning, take part in a, in a regulating activity, come back to a calm, a calm emotional state, and then come back to the learning. That's going to be much more effective than letting things escalate to a point where they're just unable to access any of the learning at all. So maybe... I don't know, I have known children, for example, a child who found playing with Play-Doh for a few minutes very regulating, or a child who found putting a, a vibrating cushion under his feet very regulating. In the next episode, we'll actually talk a lot more about emotional regulation in, in more detail, because you could, you could talk about these strategies for hours. But if you think about providing some way of teaching a child to identify those emotions and then some specific strategies to help them regulate those emotions. Those are the areas to focus on. Okay, number six, social skills. Now, we have to remember that some children may not naturally know what to do in a social situation they may avoid social situations because of this. It doesn't mean that they don't want to take part in social situations. Some children might not want to, but we've got to make sure that we provide experiences and situations where we can show the children how to take part in social situations, whether that's going to be having somebody model how to play a game, model how to take turns, role play. Quite often... Visual supports can help in these situations. For example, turn-taking. Maybe you could have a spinning dial with different photos or a photo board where you can swap the, the person's photo to show whose turn it is. That can really help the child understand when it's going to be their turn because otherwise they're not going to know. I'm just thinking of a time in a previous class I taught. The children didn't, they didn't know whose turn it was to take the register until I put in a visual support to show them who, whose turn it was. Before that was put in place, there were tears. There were arguments. I put that in place. They were, abs they were so happy. They knew whose turn it was. And they, it actually made them so much more independent. Social stories are great. And we'll touch on social stories maybe in a future episode. But basically, social stories are a a way of teaching a social situation in a, in a story form that a child can look at again and again and shows the child what to do in that situation. I've always been a fan of using what I would call a photo book with photos of that situation, or maybe it's going to be a new experience. So to show the children... This is what's going to happen. We're going to do this, 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 and this. Social stories are much more aimed at social situations, but they can really help to teach a child what to do in a specific social situation. So highlighting and always thinking, how can I support 
the child, the children to access social situations with the understanding that perhaps they might find something challenging and they might not tell you. So observe. Okay, number seven is looking deeper at what the reason behind a behavior may be. So there could be a wide range of possibilities as to why a child may behave in a certain way. And it's often not helpful to think that a child is doing something just because they are autistic or thinking it's because they wanted to do it on purpose. We've got to look deeper, really try to understand what that child may be experiencing. Why are they doing what they're doing? So we've already mentioned about sensory processing and how sensory needs can have such an impact on an individual, which may lead, of course, to frustration or behaviours to try to avoid or seek different types of sensory input. So how can you meet those sensory needs? We've also mentioned about emotional regulation difficulties and the ability to understand their own emotions. So this, of course, can lead to behavior that could be challenging or distressing. So what can you put in place to help a child to regulate? There is a much higher prevalence of anxiety in autism. And of course, anxiety can spark the flight, fight or freeze response, which will have a big impact on behaviour. Perhaps the reasons that are leading to anxiety can be explored. So what is causing the child to feel anxious? How can this be supported or avoided? Communication difficulties can lead to misunderstanding, confusion, frustration, withdrawal, how can you support the child to communicate throughout the day or take part in meaningful interactions? How can their communication be supported? Is the child interested or engaged in the learning? Do the learning resources or teaching method need to be adapted? Has a favourite toy just been taken away from a child without prior warning or preparation? So many possibilities and digging deeper into what the reason behind the behavior could be, of course, put you in a much better position to be able to put effective supports in place to help the child and to avoid distressing situations. It can sometimes be helpful to write down situations where you're seeing different behavior or maybe it's a specific behavior to see if there are any patterns, perhaps a particular time of day or you're they're in a specific room, maybe it's something somebody has said or maybe it's something in the environment but it could help you to pinpoint what may be leading a child to behave in a particular way. Are you a parent or carer looking for ways to help your child's development? Are you looking to upskill your own knowledge to help you better advocate for your child? There is a lot of information out there and I certainly know it can feel very overwhelming trying to navigate it all to find ways that are really going to help your child and their progress. 
Autism for Parents is an accessible anytime online course full of bite-sized videos and downloadable resources, giving you lots of practical ways and tips that you can help your child in the areas of developing communication, sensory needs, behavior, emotional regulation, transitions and social interaction. I'm also offering further personalized support with myself, Steph Reed, an autism specialist teacher and consultant to help you identify tailored ways to help your child. Come and join now at autismspectrumteacher.com. Okay, number eight is transition supports. So transitions can sometimes be quite a challenging time for autistic individuals. And this could be because they may not understand where they're going or what they're going to do or who they'll see or perhaps what's going to happen. So if we can provide the right supports to ensure that they are effectively prepared, this can really, really help. And what I mean by an effective transition support is something that is clear to that individual to help them know, for example, where they're going to go or what's going to happen when they get there. And this can be provided in different types of ways depending on the individual's level of understanding and sense making. Perhaps it's a written list of the the activities, the lessons they're doing in that day. That, for one child, is going to help support them to make those independent transitions themselves from each lesson. Maybe it's going to be a visual timetable with pictures because perhaps that child is not, is not reading. And to be honest, I read and I prefer pictures. I think pictures give a lot of information so perhaps it's a, a visual timetable. Perhaps it's more, perhaps it's something that's with them at all times. Maybe um, what I use quite often with, with some children are first and then boards. So first I'm going to do this and there's a picture of this. Next I'm, I'm going to do this. And they have that with them at all times and the supporting adult can can help change the pictures. Maybe the child has learned how to do it themselves and they can independently change those pictures. But it's always got to be there. So I know I'm doing this. Next, I'm going to go here. And that's going to help support that child's transition to the next activity. Alongside transition supports, I would say it's essential, especially for, for children that are using uh, visual timetables, now next boards, or for anyone that hasn't learned to tell the time, use sand timers. Use a timer to show how much time is left before an activity is finishing. This is so important because if you're just going to finish an activity or finish a lesson just like that, you know when it's going to finish because you can read the time and you know it's half past two. But the child doesn't know that. And that is going to cause a lot of anxiety. Perhaps they're they're doing something they really like and all of a sudden it's finishing. No wonder you're going to see some frustration from them. So make sure you just, maybe maybe it's placing a five-minute timer in front of them and saying five minutes and then the lesson's finishing. That is going to make such a difference, especially if you use it consistently. 
When I was teaching in a specialist school for children diagnosed with autism and severe learning difficulties, I was teaching classes of mostly children who communicated in a nonverbal way. And they were able to make independent transitions with either a visual timetable showing the pictures of what they were what, what they were doing in their day, or maybe it was a now and next board. If I'm if I put a sand timer five minutes before the end of the lesson and I did this for every lesson they knew that the the lesson was coming to an end then when the sand timer was finished I would count down from five five four three two one the lesson has finished and they would all make that transition independently and that was through making sure they all had effective transition supports and I was being consistent with my with what with how I was supporting it with my use of sand timers and the way I was providing those transition supports okay number nine and this continues from transition supports it's supporting the structure of lessons or supporting the structure of tasks so in a similar way making sure that things are broken down even more so, for example, making sure the child, the children know the parts of the lesson. So what's coming up in the lesson and when it's going to finish, that's going to make a big difference. And the reason is you're enabling the individual to know what's expected of, expected of them, what's expected in the task or the lesson. I'm thinking of um, one or two particular individuals that I've taught who just would not have sat through a lesson without knowing what each of the steps were. Because without having that support there, they weren't sure of how long they were supposed to be sitting down or how long they were supposed to be doing that task. And comparing the difference from having all of the visual resources prepared for the whole lesson to show exactly the steps of what was coming up compared with not having those supports you could expect a child to just get up in the middle of the lesson because they don't know when it's going to end. Let's take a phonics or an English lesson. Maybe you're going to do start by doing some letter sounds. So maybe you're going to have a symbol or a picture of the letters. Then maybe next you're going to do some writing. So you could have a picture or symbol of writing. Then maybe after that is going to be reading. So you'd have a picture or the symbol of reading. And when the activity is finished, that symbol or picture can be removed. So already the child can see what, it, what they need to do and what's expected in the lesson. It may be that you just have it written on a board and ticked off. Maybe the child has got this next to them on a small whiteboard or maybe it's a little a little visual support on the inside of their book that they can tick off or maybe mark with a, a whiteboard pen. Anything that's going to be effective for that child, I'm definitely very pro using it for the whole class because at the end of the day, this, this is going to benefit all of the children. We all use lists and calendars and in front of me I've got my post-it notes of the things that I need to do today we all use these things to support ourselves so 
let's make sure we fully prepare the children and and let them know what they need to do. It's going to really reduce any anxiety and ensure they fully understand what's expected of them and help them to be successful and achieve every part of that lesson or complete a task as independently as possible, maybe even completely independently because they can see the steps in front of them. Okay, we've come to number 10. I feel like I could go on (laughs) a lot longer, but we'll stop it after this one for today. Maybe I'll give a couple of extra pointers as well. Okay, number 10 is engaging resources, using things that the children will find motivating and engaging. If you can if you can get their interest, get their focus with something really exciting. Maybe it's something that the the children or the class are interested at the moment. Is it some program they've been watching or some game they like playing? Is it some kind of resource that's going to that they're going to find really funny or or really fun? Be imaginative and creative and find those those engaging topics and resources and draw their focus in that way. It might be a child really likes trains and you can engage them by doing all sorts of different types of activities using using trains or maybe it's they love to be outside and you can do lots of learning outside. Really try to capture that child's focus and attention because if you're, if you're trying to engage a child in something that, I don't know, maybe it's a worksheet or something that's not that interesting, you can't blame them for not being interested. That's what I would say. Use the child's interests and go from there. Okay, so I've come to 10, but I just want to touch on something that I haven't mentioned that is very important, and it is modeling and showing what you mean. Because quite often, we might tell somebody to do something or what we want them to do, and they they might uh, say they don't want to do it or they might avoid or refuse perhaps it's because they don't understand what you want them to do or or know what you're what's expected of them so if you can show them how to do it by modeling by doing it as well that child is going to have more opportunity to be successful so as a teacher i would always make sure my lessons were modeled When I was introducing a lesson, I would model exactly what I wanted the children to do. I'd show them. I would do it with them. Perhaps they would have somebody doing the activity beside them. So they knew exactly how to do it. It's really going to enhance that child's independent skills by showing them how to do something and then enabling them to do it as independently as possible, as much as possible by themselves. Okay, that's brilliant. We've come to the end of the podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you've taken something away from that podcast episode. 
I mentioned before a couple of the free guides that I have on my website and I also have one all about inclusive teaching strategies. So a lot of the things that I've mentioned in this podcast episode in a nice two-page PDF. I'm really pleased with it. I really love it. And it's really helpful for teachers, teaching assistants, parents, just to go over and remember these really important inclusive teaching strategies. So you can download that at autismspectrumteacher.com forward slash inclusive teaching strategies. Now, if you'd like to learn more, I've got a range of online courses and course packages full of lots of really helpful information and downloadable resources. And they're, all of the courses are taught in bite-sized videos, so really accessible information that can be viewed as much as you want and whenever you want. You can do it at your own pace, all to develop skills, practical strategies, build knowledge and understanding in supporting and teaching autistic and neurodivergent children and young people. So if you're a teacher, if you're a parent or carer, a teaching assistant, a service provider, a Senko, or perhaps you're a family member, check out the online courses. There's lots of different types of support. So there's some more bespoke packages. There are very specific and directed short courses. Perhaps it's sensory needs you'd like to learn more about. Perhaps it's understanding behavior. There's lots of different courses. So check them out at autismspectrumteacher.com. And I'm here to support you. You can connect with me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube at Steph Reed Autism and come and join our Facebook group. It's called Autism and Inclusive Teaching, where we share and support each other with teaching tips and strategies. Now, I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a quick review on whichever podcast app you're using for the Autism Spectrum Teacher podcast. This would help anyone looking for information such as this find the podcast. Also share the podcast with other teachers, with other parents. This will enable this information to help more children and more parents, more teachers. So please leave a review, share the podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to go and subscribe to the Autism Spectrum Teacher podcast and so you can get the next episode sent straight to your device. Okay, until then, bye-bye. <laughs>